Welcome to Oddcast, Tales of Teaching and Hands-On Learning at Hendricks College. who you are? Um, my name is Tony Walter-Don. I'm Associate Professor of English here at Hendricks. And when did you join the department? Uh, geez, this is, it's been, it's my eighth year. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, yeah. Time flies. Time flies, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are some of the courses you teach? Um, so I teach everything across the major. So I teach everything from introductory kind of writing courses all the way up. I've taught our senior thesis seminar. Um, my area of specialization is 19th century American literature. So I teach a lot of classes um, at the intersection of history and literature in the 19th century and the way those things are um, going back and forth between each other. Fantastic. And when you're not teaching? Yeah. Oh, man. Doing, doing all the things. Um, let's see. I'm often at home with my husband and our two cats. Um, I taught myself to sew while I was on sabbatical. <laughs> I do a lot of local volunteer work with um, some local political organizations as well, helping people get registered to vote and trying to get out the vote in Pulaski County and be more invo- involved in Little Rock. Um, which I, I love Little Rock. It's a great place. And um, tell us a little bit about where you're from and, and uh, where you went to school. Let's see. Um, so I grew up outside Cleveland um, in a small town on the west side in the kind of um, industrial uh, Rust Belt core. Undergrad, I started at a small liberal arts college in western Pennsylvania, and then I finished up at Amherst College in western Massachusetts and had some really great experiences there. And I did my grad work at Cornell in upstate New York, and I was there for um, nine or ten years and got to spend good time there. That's a great place to spend that period of time. Yeah, it was a wonderful, it was a wonderful, wonderful place. Was was there a moment where, where you really decided you knew you wanted to be uh, a professor? Yeah, I was, it was funny. I had, um, when I started my undergrad, I was really thinking I would be a lawyer and very into the okay. poli-sci stuff, you know. Um, and so I had an internship, actually, after my first year in college um, at the Senate. And I spent the summer working on Capitol Hill and um, realized that I really cared about politics, but didn't want to do the kind of the everyday work of politics mm-hmm. and wasn't sure that that was for me. And meanwhile, I was taking some English classes that I really loved. And it occurred to me one day when I was in class, I was like, someone's getting paid to do this, you know? Um, <laughs> and that that kind of epiphany, you know, made me think think about what I could be doing. It's kind of a nice abrupt shift, though, from D.C. lawyer to yeah. college uh, professor. Yeah, I think I wanted something. I think I realized, you know, I'm really glad that I had that internship. And it was a great, you know, it was a great experience. And everybody should, I think everyone should be in D.C. for a summer just because mm-hmm. it's a great place to be. Um, but it really taught me a lot about what I did and didn't want out of my everyday life. I think yeah. I, I realized at that point that um, eight to five in an office under fluorescent uh-huh. lights was going to just not be super happy for me. Like, um, And that the kind of workaholic and workaholic, very uh, pragmatic deal-making thing was maybe uh-huh. maybe not, you know, I was 
probably a little bit too idealistic for that. And yeah. um, so teaching, you know, teaching in a small liberal arts college, you know, we're we're here with ideals all all day, yeah. you know, and here to kind of think about the relation of those things. So I love that all ideals all day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me just a little bit about your department. Y'all have a very almost like a family culture. I mean, very close. Seems like a close knit, yeah, collegial yeah. department. Yeah, I mean, so we're we're a bigger department, although a little bit smaller, with some recent departures and um, retirement of a kind of major figure in our field, Alice Hines. Um, but yeah, so as a department, English is interesting because we do not just what um, most people would think of as a traditional English major, you know, in in literary studies where we study the um, the way that language and literature, you know, is kind of put together and see what makes that tick. Um, but we also um, incorporate film studies and creative writing into our major. And so what I think is really neat for um, for students is that our students have uh, have the exposure to all of these different kinds of fields. And then as a faculty, um, but as a faculty, what that means is that we're all really different. You yeah. know, we have yeah. very um, distinct distinct areas of specialization and different things that we do. Well, let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about um, the Odyssey professorship. What's the name of the professorship you have? My professorship was the Isabel Peregrine um, Odyssey professorship. Okay. Um, is that one, of the, one that has, uh, has some restrictions on it or has a specific area of emphasis? It does. It has a focus in um, literature, language, and journalism, I think okay. is the way yeah. that it's it's written. Tell us about the, the project Mm-hmm. The theme I, I devised was called Books and Reading in a Digital Age. And I was really interested in two questions. So the first is, like, why physical books now, even though we have a, you know, every, it seems like, you know, nearly everything in the world is not actually true, but everything that you could ever want could be beamed directly to your Kindle or your phone or your iPad. Um, and so what then, you know, why is it that, you know, what good are physical books still in a world like that? You know, and what does that help us to think about the ways that we read, the ways that we pay attention, mm-hmm. the ways that um, the ways that literature and other forms of the written word kind of live with us, mm-hmm. you know, now they're in our pockets, in our phones, as opposed mm-hmm. to in the book. Um, so I wanted to get students thinking about those questions at I, as I had been thinking about them. How, and did, then you, I, how did you get into thinking yeah. about them? So, okay, let's see. My So my scholarly work, so I work on the 19th century, um, but like in terms of the way I work on the 19th century, I really, I love old stuff, yeah. like material objects, things right. like, um, and I've done a lot in my own scholarly practice. I've done a lot of work in archives, like okay. going to places where, you know, materials are held and looking at old things that can't be, um, can't be taken up, you know, in any other way. Cause there's, you know, one copy of this old newspaper from a given mm-hmm. place or something like that. Um, and so I wanted to find ways to draw students into that work so that was kind of on my mind and then I'd been just kind of reading and thinking more this kind of move in scholarship to think about you know the way that you know not just what we read the words we read but the situation in which we read them so the ways that they're printed on the page or arranged in a book um, the ways that books are able to circulate physically you know people trade Mm -hmm. them or give them and lend them or mark them up and all these different things um is that kind of has been a question that's been more of interest in scholarly places it's been more of interest to me and so 
I was just thinking about, you know, I was reading and thinking about like, well, what do I need to know about books? Like the physical thing that is the book. And, you know, I found, I was just rooting around in the library in, in UALR, and I found a, somebody had put together a bibliography of every pop-up book written. Oh. Like, I was like, wait a second, somebody went and tracked down every pop-up book ever made in the history of mankind, put them together in a book so that now you can know that you've looked at all of them. I was like, this is amazing. I don't know who you are. I'm really <laughs> glad you existed and you did this project, and now I'm here and I have it to reference. Um, but so that got me thinking about, you know, so, okay, where are you know what are the interesting things that people have done with books and and how can that help us think about where we are in the present you know in terms of the ways that you know you read you read and hear so much like you know kids these days don't read and that's not true or bookstores are all gonna die sort of problematic right you know Um, or you know nobody wants a physical book anymore like none of those things are exactly you know there's there's a major there's a major shift going on in the way we read but no those things are exactly true so so i wanted to know more it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of how long did you have the professorship or how long did the project sort of take so it was was a three-year professorship and we kind of worked our way all the way through okay so what was the sort of runway to 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 the proposal stage how long did that yeah go from idea to proposal so i was kind of noodling around and thinking about it it took me probably 18 months because what i wanted to do is i wanted to try out like a little you know i wanted to like beta test a project and see how it would go so um the summer before i applied i actually took students on just a standard odyssey grant to go actually um, do some archival work at Bowdoin College in Maine, um, which Bowdoin holds a collection, an amazing collection of pop-up books. And so we spent a week uh-huh. literally just looking at this um, collection of uh, probably about 1,500 pop-up books and just trying yeah. to see like, what's the deal there? Like, what's going on with that? Why is it literally, you know, why can't people stop looking and, and engage at these things? You know, we were in this, we're in the reading room. I'm in the reading room with these Hendrix students and these um you know, we're playing with these pop-up books because that's our research project. And someone there was trying to research the papers of I think it was George Mitchell and was clearly quite bored. And he was like, What do you guys what do you what do you do it? Like and I look at your stuff. And every every time I've looked at these materials in the archives, people leave their work and come look at what oh, I'm that's doing. Interesting. You know, what is it about pop-up books? Then? Yeah. So um so I think that one of the reasons we love pop-up books so much, like a couple different things are there. So first, you know, if you think about the ways that we read fiction, right? You know, you have fiction is magical, right? In the sense that you have black marks on a white page and somehow out of that like conjures up these you know Game of Thrones right mm-hmm. or like all the whole kind of universe you know maybe Dick like the whole universe of a separate world yeah. comes out of like what is a really pretty flat object mm-hmm. right um, I think we tend to we tend to underrate how much work the physical like the fact that we are doing something physical when our minds are so intensely engaged mm-hmm. in translating you know these marks on a page into an imaginative thing um there's some research for instance that shows that um people remember plot um more accurately when they're reading a physical book because they have a sense 
the book is actually shifting its weight from, you know, right to left. And so that's a marker of like, where you are in the book is where you are in the plot. And so I think a pop up book makes literal like brings to our attention the fact that we are physically engaged at the same time that we're mentally engaged. Mm -hmm. And so there's simultaneously like a little tiny bit transgressive, you know, there's mm -hmm. a reason this is a kid's thing. Right. Um, although I've never met anyone who did not immediately <laughs> right. like be like, oh, I mean, people yeah. put down their yeah. scholarship and yes. they come seek you out when you're doing exactly, this. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Or kids, you know, when I'm when I show people my pop up books in my office, which <laughs> I have, you know, everybody goes for it, right. And it's because it's simultaneously, not what we're expecting, and yet so delightful to see our imaginations engaged in that particular mm -hmm. way. Um, One yeah. or two, is there, is there any connection between, is it, um, I know f folks have, have looked at uh, uh, show prints and, mm -hmm. and from letter presses and yeah, things like that. Yeah. Is there something about the sort of yes. artisanal textile? Absolutely. You know? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I did as part of the professorship was to bring in a book artist named Sean Shahi, okay. who is a master pop-up book maker, but makes artisanal pop-up books. Oh, wow. And I encountered his work in at, in this archive at Bowdoin when I was beta testing the project. Um, and he makes these beautiful, complex, like um, just delicately crafted, amazing things. So you open up, you know, you open up a an enclosure and you see, you know, outcomes like a rutabaga, right? Just kind of <laughs> rises from the page as if it like all has grown at once, right? And so this intersection of like fine art bookmaking and, you know, then the kind of popular form of right. the pop-up, there's actually more cross-pollination between those things than you yeah. would expect. But um, The students who were involved with you in, in this project what were some of the ways that they earned Odyssey credit and mm -hmm. what were some of the did they have different opportunities for different mm -hmm. Odyssey credits, that sort of thing? Yeah. So we, um, one of the things that I wanted to focus on was building people's capacity to get Odyssey credit. So kind of getting them in the mindset of developing, um, figuring out, like using the professorship's work as kind of like a training ground to get people to build their own projects, right? Um, because one of the things that we notice in the humanities, so we have in the English department, for instance, we have a an undergraduate research odyssey built right into our major so everyone mm -hmm. does that um, either that or an artistic creativity program um, but we have fewer students I think in part because of just how difficult it can be to conceive of a project in the humanities on your own we don't have as many students who do self-developed projects right. that are research-based so a lot of what I was focusing on was trying to get students the baseline tools that enable them to think about like, well, what would it mean if you built archival work into the projects that you wanted to do? Um, so I had students do, you know, I had students taking classes and doing engaged learning work um, as a product of the class. But then I also had students who, after taking those classes, you know, went on to propose their own projects. I had a student, for instance, who um, decided she wanted to work with some papers in Philadelphia for her senior thesis. And so mm -hmm. she was Odyssey and Murphy funded to um, go and do her own archival research, you know, and yeah. I'm getting emails from her, you know, I'm in, I'm in the archives and I'm looking at this thing and what do I do? And da -da. You know, it's <laughs> like, hey, great, you know, like say hi to Connie, I think, you know, like you know, seeing some of the places I've seen. So, yeah, so trying to get people to dream a little bit bigger about what right. they can do with the amazing resources that Odyssey has for them. 
you know, and we've seen we've seen some of that continue. So now, um, you mentioned having a sort of a sort of a, a pilot or a prototype, yeah. prototypical Odyssey thing mm-hmm. for this. Was there something that you had? You maybe thought or even proposed mm-hmm. for for an Odyssey project that didn't go through, oh, and then and and you're glad it maybe you're glad it didn't or it didn't work out in the way that but it led to this or oh, if you if you did that you wouldn't have landed where you where you were with this yeah um, I think one of the first we've. We have had different kind of fits and starts at getting students into the archives. Yeah. And the first, so the first, and no, it must have been the second year I was here. The second year I was here, I took a group, a gaggle of students down to Austin to do research at the Harry Ransom Center. Um, and, you know, we were just not, you know, I think when I, I was there with these students, I really felt the the lack of a kind of coherent class guiding them into that experience Mm -hmm. right you know because archival work isn't something you can just jump into and not every archive is any good for you right right? it's really got it there's really got to be this very tight fit between like your knowledge of what's already out there and what you're doing which then enables you to ask the questions that make going to the archive a worthwhile use of your time and, and of everyone's money and so that that experience, you know, and at the same time, you know, I'm watching my students have the amazing experience, you know, of looking at Faulkner's drafts of a manuscript, right? Mm-hmm. And like, there's something wonderful. One of the wonderful things about the archive is just, you know, you are kind of going through somebody's, you know, their private drawers, right? Yeah, you know, right. and like, there's a there's a little bit, if there's a little bit of the like sneaking around feeling about it, right. which I think that kind of pleasure is worth you know, like getting students hooked on. And so seeing seeing students get enthusiastic about the archives, but maybe not know how well to use the material okay. they did, it made me think a lot about like, okay, so how can I get them as excited as they are now, but help them push that towards something that's going to be a really satisfying final product. Right. And that, that type of experience translates, whether you're uh, in, in literary studies yeah. or history or yeah. sort of thing. absolutely so, absolutely lots of lots of application for students here no matter whether they're English majors or not yeah one of the things that has been most interesting to me is that students from this fellowship students who've worked with me in this fellowship have actually gone on to work in library science oh, uh, which was not <laughs> an inca- you know it wasn't an outcome that I predicted right. but I'm like of course you know this would make sense that this would be yeah. something you'd be into was there was there something that um, that you you envisioned in this professorship or this project that you thought, oh, great, with with this kind of support, I'm going to be able to mm-hmm. do this or show students that, mm-hmm. and it just didn't work out the way you thought it might. Oh, I mean, man. the travel was more successful than I thought it would have uh, been. I was really stuck by that. One of the things I observed is that it's harder to get students to have the free time to do things on campus. You know, mm-hmm. um, our student population is so busy mm-hmm. and so engaged and so involved. And then, you know, a substantial subset of them are also, you know, working for money, right? Mm-hmm. You know, trying right. to pay the bills. Um, and so adding on yet one more experience yeah. can actually be, you know, and I'm, I'm really sympathetic to this, right? Sure. It can actually yeah. be a real demand for right. our students. I don't know that um, there, are da- there are days when I was in the middle of the professorship where I had some real 
I thought really hard, long and hard. I was like, do our students really need more things outside of the classroom? Right. Or should our goal with the professorship be to kind of revolutionize what goes on in the classroom so that we can simultaneously use that, you know, we can use that set of four classes that students are committing to by being full-time students, mm-hmm. but use that to do all manner of crazy, interesting, strange, you know, engaging, um, you know, world-shaking things, yeah. right? Now, is there something that um, th- that that came out of this experience that you know would not, um, you know, whether it was a something literal like a class yeah. or, or a project or yeah. or just your your perspective on 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 teaching or, or research that you know wouldn't have you wouldn't have had or it wouldn't have changed had you not had the yeah. professorship yeah i think oh geez a couple things so the biggest thing for me and i wasn't i didn't necessarily have this planned on the way in although once i saw it coming i was so happy to see that this was happening um so i taught a class in the second year of the professorship and it was called books and reading in a digital age so it was kind of the center of the class and it was a 12-person class and the professorship funded every student to go do archival work with me wow. you know and so we took three in the middle of the semester we took three trips three different trips with four students each and everybody came and did a project and um the first, the final papers for that class just blew my mind. You know, they were just really wonderful. But maybe even what was more significant is I had some students in that class who, you know, said to me at the end, I'm not ever the person who would ever do the fancy Odyssey project, right? right? You know, right. they didn't. I, they didn't feel that they had that kind of confidence or, right. you know, their their skills were, you know, they they perceived yeah. themselves to be developing skills or whatever. Yeah. Um, but they were like, I'm not the Odyssey all-star, right. but this was the coolest thing I ever did. That's great. You know, and they did amazing, amazing work, you know, work way, way above that, way above the work they had done before. And that to me felt just so powerful like the ways in which you know hooking up engaged learning to the classroom setting and then making it kind of democratically available like you are here in this class and that means that you're going to do you can do this cool thing and here i'm going to be here with you all the way to help you do it like that really helped students helped my students you know the ones who were already already running ran faster and the ones that were kind of getting up to speed like that just really helped them take flight and i was so proud you know i was just so proud right it was, it was so fun you know to see so well you, you've got an interesting perspective because you've you, you've done this sort of one-off mm-hmm. singular odyssey project yeah. and then you've had the long more long-term professorship what's yeah. the sort of pros and cons of having uh a finite, you know, period and then a little bit longer runway, so to speak. One thing that was really nice about the professorship and that I really am grateful for was the way that, you know, in the context of supporting me doing all this cool stuff with students, um, it was really supporting my research. Mm-hmm. Hendrix has generously funded my my scholarly work throughout my time here. But it was just it was nice to have the to know that for three years I was gonna have laid I had laid out in advance I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna be at the mercy of a funding cycle right Mm -hmm. and so I could say like okay I know this is leading up to my sabbatical and I'm gonna be you know planning this project and I'm gonna have the resources to put in this kind of work you know at the end that's gonna really um, take my take my own scholarly work in hopefully some new directions and it really did so now 
Was there a point when you were in the throes of the professorship that you thought, okay, I've got this really great idea for either an individual or singular Odyssey project mm-hmm. or another professorship, but mm-hmm. I I, it's got to wait until I'm done with this. Did you ever? Did you ever have one of those ideas? And what was it? You know, when you get in the middle of it, you're like, "What I really should have done was blah." You know, um, and I think now, you know, when you think about applying again at some point for another professorship, one of the things that I so I think a lot about like how do students do things? Like not just you know assimilating content, but like teaching students how to actually build or create things on their own. And so if I had it to do again, or if I ever do have it to do again, I think part of what I think the focus of what I'd want to do has something to do with that kind of ideas about finding ways to build creativity in that very practical sense, you Mm -hmm. know, getting students into making and doing things, Mm -hmm. you know, can, you know, one of the things we didn't do in this process, for instance, like we didn't build books, right? Right. You know, we didn't make, we didn't make the object we were talking about, although students did do the kind of writing I wanted them to think about. But I think now I would be, I would be kind of doubling, you know, if I do this again, it'll be doubling down on the kind of lab model, you know, using Mm -hmm. class, really using class time to think about getting students into that kind of active experimental mode. Like, how is it that you can be laying hands on things and using them to do stuff, right? That would be the heart of what we'd be doing. Is it hard to stop thinking about ideas to to, to, to do with Odyssey? It is. It is. I mean, and that's that's the blessing and the curse. You know, I I have a rule for myself that I'm only allowed to do one new thing a year right now because I I have to really... That's discipline. Yeah, I have to write write hard on my own tendency to just, you know, acquire projects. For faculty who haven't applied maybe they're maybe they're Tony Jadon mm-hmm. four or five years ago mm-hmm. what 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 advice would you give oh man um, do it like a <laughs> you should do it um, I think the beta testing like a beta testing project is yeah. a really good way to do it because yeah. if you are funding if like you have to go through the funding cycle mm-hmm. which means you have to write an application and do the whole, see the whole project through you can see if it's you know it's feasible what's not what do you like what do you not like you know right. you'll get a lot of advice from your peers in the process um so i think that's really important and the other thing i would say i would put in a real plug for um trying to build things into the class structure you know instead of um you know the model that often works is you know kind of um big travel at the end of the spring semester right or something like Mm -hmm. that and that makes sense for a lot of reasons um but i think it's you know that's only one way to do it right Mm -hmm. and so finding ways to make use of the professorship during the school year and during the day during the actual class time um i think that's one thing that can you know from a practical point of view it saves it saves time and energy for us but it also makes it more possible for students who are overstretched and you know none of us you know it's november right now when we're recording this like (laughs) none of us are none of us are feeling you know me and my copious free time right Right, and so so you want to find ways to not let your energy and ambition get the worst of you right and so i would i would encourage people to think about that what about favorite or best archive Oh, for you and why? Oh, geez, favorite archive. So, okay, we're going off script on this. Yeah, one. <laughs> yeah. So my, I didn't prep you for this one. <laughs> so my favorite archive is probably, oh yeah, um, 
my favorite archive is the Beinecke, which is at Yale. And the Beinecke has an amazing collection of one of the best collections of children's books in America. And oh, wow. so they have um, in particular, oh, God, this is another thing that like people stop when these stop and look at what you're doing when you're playing with these in the archives. There are um, there's an early master of the movable book. So like a book where you pull a pull tab mm-hmm. and the little mechanism right. like does a moving thing. Right. Um, an early master from of this of this genre from the late 19th century and they have several of these books that have been preserved over wow. you know up to this point and the mechanisms still work which is amazing wow. like for something that a yeah. child played with to survive sure. and so these they're beautiful and they're complex and like you know you pull a tab and like eight different things happen at once you're like ah, yeah. oh my god um, why do they let college professors play with them then? That's, that, <laughs> I am a serious researcher <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this yes, is one of those one of those moments where you get to say like yes I have the 